Hello, welcome to another edition of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant, the author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thanks for joining me again here today. We've got a great show for you. I've got a guest waiting in the interview room. going to bring him on in just a second. Uh, he's going to be my co-host today. His name is Eric Reynolds, and Eric is a retired Boynton Beach uh, police officer who has discovered uh, a, a pretty unique way of, uh, of dealing with post-traumatic stress issues and general law enforcement health. And let me bring him in right now. Eric, come come join me here on the uh, on the screen. There we go. How are you today? Thanks, Randy. All right, Randy. Thanks, man. Hey, I just saw an old uh, clip of you on Cops, man. That thing was, <laughs> I think I watched I think I watched it live in high school. <laughs> you probably did. You probably did. So Eric um, did almost 20 years with the Boynton Beach Police Department. Uh, you were involved in a uh, in a shooting. You were yourself uh, injured in this shooting and that, uh, that changed the dynamic for you and changed the trajectory of your life. Did it not? Absolutely. Bit one of the biggest events, probably next to my kids that happened in my life. All right. So I, I want, I want the audience who uh, are listening to us on iHeartRadio or any of the other, uh, services, uh, terrestrial radio, or those who are watching to get to know you a little bit. If you would give us a little background about, um, about you and about your law enforcement career. Well, I got to start off with my mom. She's a retired Sergeant from, um, Metro day, which is now Miami day police department. She did 30 years. So I grew up in Miami, son of a cop, you know, police cars taking me to practice and stuff like that. And it was cool. And I didn't really think much about being a cop until I went to college. And I always fell into catching people doing stuff, shoplifters, all this stuff. And I did retail security for about eight years. And then I fell into police work at Boynton Beach Police Department when I applied and ended up getting hired. So when did, what, how old were you when you became a police officer? I was sworn in at 32. So after the eight years of retail, you know, I was an older guy in my academy class, I remember. But I look back, the experiences of working and managing a security team before I was a cop, it kind of let me handle it a little easier. I was a little more mature. I can control my emotions and know how to talk to people a little bit more than some of the younger guys I was seeing come out. Nothing against them, but that's what was going on at that time. Sure. So um, you uh, did you go to the police academy? Was it a Boynton Beach Police Academy or was it a regional academy? It was uh, Palm Beach County. Um, I guess that's run pretty much by the sheriff's office down there. And that's where I went. You know, I did a I did the Broward uh, like a community service aid school for about four months where I was learning about do traffic crashes and stuff. So I was very familiar with both academies They're both pretty, pretty good schools. Great. All right. So you, uh, you, you did almost 19 years. Uh, what were your assignments when you were, um, when you were uh, a police officer? Like, like I saw, you start off, you know, through your FTO phases and then you go into midnights and, you know, you pay your dues and figure out who the bosses that you want to work for and who the ones you don't want to work for are. <laughs> and, you know, you learn, uh, you learn everything along the way. But after about three years, I fell into a community service group it's called CRA, where you just kind of rode around a certain area where they're trying to redevelop. And we use bike patrol. We would use, you know, whatever resources we could. And we weren't really assigned to road patrol except for a hot call or something. So we really became invested in the neighborhood. And I did that for about three years first. 
and then transitioned into uh, like bike patrol units, community outreach. We did some vice work, some jump outs, some helped out. You know our drug, you know our drug units do search warrants on small level type drug dealers, nothing big timers. You know they call the SWAT team in for those guys. Gotcha. All right. So you had a, you had a, uh, most of your career was spent uh, on the road. Uh, the first three years and the last probably three years too. In between that was all special units stuff. Okay. Um, let's talk about the 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 incident that changed your life. Uh, because this, of course, was the pivotal moment for you. Can you uh, break that down for us? Well, after they disbanded our unit, which happens a lot, you know, new management comes in and all of a sudden you're back in a police car handling calls again. You know, you got to go back into it, which that's what we paid up, signed up to do. Right. So I'm back out in regular road patrol. A couple years into it, I'm thinking FTO, maybe I should get promoted. You know, is this the next step in my career? And then, you know, this moment, I'll never forget it. You know, it was a bolo from the next agency next to us about a bank robbery. A guy went in, mask on, how funny things are with masks. And then he robbed the bank and he fled the scene. And I remember them saying it was a red uh, Crown Vic with a white top. And I'm like, Crown Vic, red, white top. That's a pretty bright colored car, you know? And I, about five minutes later, I'm boloing the area, you know, where a car would come into our city. And I see a red Lincoln Town car with a white top, black male driver, same description. So I just kind of hung in there waiting for it to see what he was going to do, because we're both stopped at a light. He's looking this way and I'm looking this way. So we're just kind of like not really eyeballing each other, even though we are. And I'm calling it out. Hey, I got a car over here, kind of similar description. You want me to keep going through the whole detail or yeah, stop yeah. for questions? No, okay, no, no, so, no. Go ahead. All right. He takes a quick right turn. And I tell dispatch, hey, he just made a right turn going up US-1 northbound. I'm making a U-turn to get behind him. And he guns it. Not like crazy 90 miles an hour, but he steps on it pretty good. So I'm like, oh, let me catch up to this guy. So I start catching up and he slows down erratically. And then he uh, has a handicap tag. So I'm calling out the tag. And then he just stops in the middle of US-1. I never lit him up yet. So I'm like, why is this guy stopping? So I stop with some distance going, all right, he's just stopping right here. And I'm waiting for backup and I'm saying, hey, he stopped right here. And I hit my rear lights on to let traffic behind us know I got a car stopped. And it seemed like an eternity looking back, but those three, four seconds we sat there, I think if I would have got out and like approached him and just walked up and said, hey man, your car matches the description, you know, I think he would have got the jump on me at that point and just shot, you know, but he doesn't, he ends up uh, taking off. Now we're in a little brief car chase go through some parking lots. He sideswipes some cars. Uh, Chris Monroe is with me. We're both stepping each other on the radio. You know, that works until you finally realize someone's behind you calling it out. And I let him take over the radio. And I think within, you know, a minute, he ends up crashing, making a left turn and he hits <clears> a car head on and comes to a sudden stop. And my tactical spot where I stopped wasn't really the best point for me. So I start to jump out of the car thinking he's going to run. And all I see is the door open. You start, I see the muzzle flash because he can't get his door open from the impact of the crash. So it's wedged and he just wasn't enough. He could get his hand out there and I could just see it like the wild west making me dance. And I went to the left to a telephone pole, got away from my door of my car. Monroe's returning fire at this point. I'm doing suppression fire. I think I hit the house behind the car. And finally, once I got comfortable, I just started laying rounds down right at the door you know and even though i couldn't see him i knew i knew kind of where he was and monroe got with me 
we both just started um, firing rounds down. And what was crazy was I was never a guy to count my rounds through my magazine or anything. And I guess all the years of shooting and stuff, I kind of had a mental timing in my head. And as soon as I looked at my slide, someone was telling me, dude, you're about to run out of bullets. I look at my slide and I see it go back. Probably the best reload I ever had and continue to fire. And Officer Monroe and I walked up, inched up to the vehicle. And I remember firing, I think about four to five rounds right through his window into his body because he was still moving. You know I mean, he just was not stopping. We backed up SWAT or a couple of SWAT guys had the rifles out and they tapped us and said, hey, let's back up. We got this. We got this. So I started backing up. I started feeling the pain in my foot. It's like, damn, what the hell happened? I looked down, it was three holes through my shoe. And then I see my right leg and I got blood dripping down my right leg. And I guess he grazed me in the right shin. And that's when the pain hit, the adrenaline starts to slow down a little bit. You know, I sit down, they cut my shoe off. They throw me in an ambulance, start to take me to the hospital. I remember asking the paramedic, I was like, hey, how's that bad guy? He's like, oh, he's dead. And that, that was a surreal moment for me. You know, in the past, I had a hard time with that because we get into this job to help and to save people, knowing we might have to get into some shit like this. But it was, it was crazy. And then I'm talking about my wife, my mom. So I'm getting on the phone calling them, you know, and I'm like, honey, don't worry. She's got, a, my son was five months old at the time. So I called her, baby's crying. That was her world. She's like, you're okay? I go, yeah. She's like, all right, bye. I was like, well, all right. That didn't go like I thought, but <laughs> you know, at least I'm making it home. So, you know, it was, that was just that day. You know, I, I didn't know what was coming afterwards with the mental anguish and some of the other stressors that came with that incident. All right. Let, yeah. And I, I really want to do, I want to talk about that. That's really critical to this conversation. So you were hit um, how many times? I was hit. I guess twice, once through the left foot and the, off the right shin, the grace. But, you know, to me, he still freaking hit me. I was moving and he still got me, you know. Right, right. And uh, um, how was, was the injury that you received, was it something that was uh, uh, disabling? Not 100%. I think I had I was rated through workers' comp a certain percentage, but it, it got more muscle and tissue damage. It just missed the big toe and kind of cut in through the inside of the foot, but I still can't feel my big toe. I have nerve damage. I had another surgery after the shooting for it. So it wasn't like a clean getaway, you know? Yeah. And so, but, is it, you, you, yeah, you, was, so you received a significant injury, though. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's your foot. Yeah. Right. You know, a lot, all of, right, a lot right, of nerves so, and muscles in there. Sure. All right. So um, the uh, the suspect is uh, is uh, deceased. What would what was his criminal history? He was a career bank robber. I don't think he'd ever really been caught. The FBI had done a search warrant in his house earlier for him being um, looked at for some other robberies. But he was a known thug in the hood, man. He just nobody liked him. So I mean, I think it was a. <laughs> I don't want to say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I got it. Um, okay, so the, uh, the the shooting takes place now. Every every uh, agency handles those officer involved shootings differently. So, what was the procedure for you? Did were you placed on uh, on leave until um, uh, until the shooting was investigated? Yeah, we were. I guess typical at two weeks or whatever they standard they said, but it was. I know they let Officer Monroe do a walkthrough of the scene with the estate attorney, and I was in the hospital, so I was never able to give that 
testimony at that time. And I, luckily, my dash camera, I guess, caught the shooting, so I kind of knew, knew what happened. But yeah, you're suspended, not suspended. You have to go to a like psychiatrist two days later. Both of us went at the same time, which I was like, man, that doesn't seem like logical to me. But we were both like, yeah, we're fine. We're okay. You know, and then I just had to start doing therapy and recovering from the wounds on my foot, which took about three months before I came back to the road. Okay, so you uh, you get cleared, you go through the the, the 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 psychological screening, which I find it interesting that they did both of you at the same time too. Do you think I was really? Do you think it was effective? That first one was just a formality. Um, Chris wasn't hurt. He eventually wanted to go back to work. He's got a wife and children, and he's got to pay bills. There's detail money that's affected by a lot of it when you can't go, you know, the regular work in your shift. And I was just, you know, when you're at home three months with your little five-month-old kid and you're starting to get to know him, and then you're putting things in perspective about, wow, I was close, you know, real close. And it changes what you your wants and desires within that career, you know. Okay. Yeah. Let's, so let's get into this now. Um, when did you start realizing that you were having, um, some significant issues regarding this, this, uh, incident in your life? There was two calls I went to. One was a typical alarm call where you get there and, you know, most of them, there's nobody there. It's just a false alarm. And I remember seeing a bike on the side of the, of the house <clears throat> and I had my gun out and, you know, I'm walking the backyard and telling my, my buddy, Hey, there's a bike on this side, North side of the house. Whatever. And I come around to the back and I get to the slider and I open the slider and it opens. And now my heart's starting to pound, man. It, but it's pounding on a whole nother level, you know, and turns out it was a false alarm. It was a homeowner's bike that he parked on the side of the house. So I created this whole scenario kind of in my head that someone was in there and then a shoplifter ran from us one time and I chased him in an apartment complex. And I had just read about FBI statistics of all these cops getting killed on routine calls, noise complaint, shoplifter, car accident. So my hypervigilance, I'm just, all right, this is it. This guy's probably armed. That's how he ran. And I found him hiding and I pulled my gun out of him. Let me see your hands. And he, had, he put his hands in his pocket. And it was so close to me pulling that trigger. And then I ended up running up on him keeping his hands in his pocket and throwing him to the ground. I was able to get control and handcuff him. And I kept asking, why, why did you freaking reach in your pockets? And I'll never forget this. He goes, I'm sorry, officer. I've never had a gun pointed at me before. I was scared. I was going for my ID because all he ever knew is we always ask people for our ID. So I couldn't come down from a couple of those situations. I was having nightmares about it, you know, and you could tell I get choked up, you know? Sure. Sure. Almost shooting somebody. And then you start thinking, you know, going back, I'm thinking about my own shooting still under investigation by the attorney's office. I'm thinking, did I shoot too much? You know, I, I shot like almost 20 rounds. Right. You know, and you're thinking 38 between Monroe and I both. You just start, stuff just starts playing in your mind, you know? Absolutely. A, I mean, this is 2012. This isn't like it is now or in 2020, you know? So it's pretty, uh, pretty <clears throat> crazy. And then, you know, I started drinking more, you know, being more isolated, keeping my family at home. My wife wants to go to the store. I'll go for you. I'll go for you. You guys stay here, you know, just, I don't know. And she finally said, you got to talk to somebody. Something's going on. You're just not right. And then there was a job and evidence that popped up. We actually had a civilian and a, a sworn officer in that position. And she went off the D bureau. And I was like, man, eight, Monday to Friday, eight to four, 
not battling vacations, take the stress away. This will, this will help me out. So I put in and I got it. And things were cool. I rode along, you know, not having to be out there on patrol. And that kind of helped my uh, central nervous system to be calm, right? Still had to drive the police car, still had to wear the uniform, but at least I was safe in the station. And then the minute I would go back out there, I'd never wore my uniform outside the police department. I would take it off. And I was in civvies on my way out where I had an unmarked car. So that did help me. And that's how I rode it for about four years. I think about maybe about three years. And we got a new chief and rumors started coming out. Oh, man, he's going to take all the sworn guys that have civilian type jobs. He's pushing, putting them back to the road and filling their spots with civilians. And then it just started creeping in again. I'm going back out there. You know, I, I can imagine what it's like for a poor military veteran going back to like Iraq where he saw his friends got blown up or something, you know, like trauma. But that's what I was feeling. I was like, man, I'm going back out there. I don't, man. I so didn't this, know how this was this was and this it. at this point this was just a rumor that this was a possibility and and because of uh the uh the stress of that you became even more um hypervigilant right and I was gaining weight you know and I wasn't uh there was nobody really talked to either really I had one supervisor later on I finally broke down to and talked to and he got me to help you know He's finally got the ball rolling for me to finally work through workers' comp and go through that nightmare of those lawyers just to get the help I finally needed. They were fine covering my foot, you know, but the minute you start to tell them about you having problems up here, they don't want to pay for that, man. You know, they're going to fight you tooth and nail. And I, they made me break down in front of four lawyers at a workers' comp meeting in 2016 when I was seeking help. You know? Wow. So, so I'm like, these. <clears throat> So the, the I was going to say, sorry, this is th yeah. this is why these guys don't go out and get help. Exactly, it's freaking hard to get sometimes, you know. It's exactly right. So you, they treated you with respect for your physical injury, but your emotional injury, they didn't even. You had to you had to fight to even get the acknowledgement that it existed. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I got sent to an independent psychologist that did his own evaluation. You know, it was a funny thing in his evaluation he wrote, I read the report later and it goes into me getting healthy with my, you know, nutrition stuff. He wrote that I was a very healthy, plump male. Like, plump. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that means. I'm fat. <laughs> All right. So, so you, you did get, you, you did get treatment for, uh, I mean, were you diagnosed with post-traumatic stress uh, injury? Yes, I was. <clears throat> and the only reason I think I held on to my evidence job is because I think my department backed me, some of the bosses, and said, just leave him in there. Why are we going to go through this battle right now? He does a good job. We like having a sworn guy in evidence because you got more to lose than a civilian. You know, there's different sure. arguments whether you want a cop in there or not. You might tamper some evidence. I'm, I never, I wait too much time to mess around with that stuff. But yeah, that's what it was, man. And man, that doctor I found in Palm Beach Gardens, Dr. Mark Barnett, Man, he, he, I walked in the first day and he pretty much had me recant the whole story and say, I'm not recant, but tell him the whole story. And he goes, well, Eric, you're going to have to learn how to dance with this because your central, central nervous system is now coming on and you're not going to sleep as well. You're going to be more aware. You're going to be a little bit more stressed. Just everything's going to happen. You're going to have to manage it. And that was the first time anyone ever told me that, like, no, you're just going to have to try to control this, not, you know, not push it down and get rid of it, you know, but just understand this is why i feel like this avoid situations that get you in the red you know and a couple of times i ran into that since i've been retired but 
So had you talked to any other psychologists prior to um, Dr. Barnett? I had, they sent me to, what's the pill writing one? The psychiatrist. The psychiatrist. And he goes, no, you don't need me. You need to go see, you need to talk about stuff. You don't need medication, which I was shy. The guy told me that he didn't write me a script or anything. So, but this is 20, you know, 16 or something like that. It wasn't like now, but yeah, it was, it was a tough road. And, you know, I kind of, people knew in the department, you know, word spread. And at that point I didn't care, man. I did not care at all. I mean, I wasn't losing my job. I know a lot of agencies, they give you one year, get back out there on the road or you're out. Right. You know, and and I was thinking about that a lot. But as long as they step, kept letting me go to see the Dr. Barnett every two weeks, they were just riding along. And I kept looking at the calendar like, well, it's 2017, 2018. I so, can get out. So you continued <laughs> to see Dr. Barnett for an extended period of time. Yeah, for about, I would say, almost four years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So um, what changed? Uh, you know, you, you began, uh, you, were, you, were, you were diagnosed as plump, and then something changed with you to, um, to give you this idea about, um, about nutrition. Tell me, how that, tell me how that came about. I did a documentary with some retired cops. I think another couple were still um, on board or still working, but it's called Cops in uh, Cabins. And it was in 2018, they got about eight of us together from different agencies, and we went to a cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And we just all hung out, had campfires, we drank some beers, we went out to eat, we had breakfast, and most of us didn't really know each other on that level. And then every day we'd have topics going into town, you know, you know, the most embarrassing thing that happened in your career, or the most exciting, or the saddest, or the time where you made a wrong decision. So we're all telling these stories. And by the end of that four days, it was so therapeutic. And one of the officers that was there did a documentary on it. He filmed it. And I watched that. And I saw me in it and I broke down on it. And I was about 245 pounds in this video. And I'm ball-headed, you know, your typical cop at that point. And I just looked sick, man. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I felt. And then at that time I go to the doctor and they're like, you got heart disease, man. You need to lower your cholesterol. We need to put stents in you. And they scared me thinking I'm going to die of a heart attack, right? Wow. And I yeah. lost I lost my academy mate, Officer Joe Crowder. I mean, he's one ID number above me. And he died of a heart attack. And they had put stents in him. So I was very leery. You know, I was like, oh, I got to look at some other stuff, right? And then a buddy of mine met, mentioned the ketogenic way of eating, pretty much meat and vegetables. And I didn't never, you know, they never teach you nutrition or anything. So I started reading up on it. I was like, huh, let me try this out. And I just, you know, eliminated processed foods. I eliminated grains. I eliminated seed oils, eliminated bread. And I just started eating like grass-fed meats, organic. You know, I know everything's organic, not necessarily is organic. But, you know, I just started looking at that way of eating. I started finding the right doctors, nutrition people. YouTube videos, you know, you get sucked in that world and it made sense to me. And then in the first two weeks, I lost like 10 pounds, you know, and then over six months, I lost 50 pounds. I got down to my high school weight around 200 pounds. My mental state got so much better. Of course, I'm getting more confident because I'm losing weight, you know, but mentally, my energy level, the way I was able to accomplish a task oriented day was getting better. And I didn't understand. And then I understood about fat for fuel and how it really gets your mind going. And I dove into that world, you know, and eventually, you know, cops started noticing at my department, me losing all this weight. And that's how the keto five Oh, you know, kind of became 
a name. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down, you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix RX reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. During this, you know, rebirth that you were that you were going through, prior to that, you know, very often times when you're dealing with post-traumatic stress injury, uh, substance abuse becomes an issue, alcohol, uh, prescription drugs, things like that. Did you experience any of that? I did the alcohol. I never got hooked on pills. I, you know, South Florida, I went through the opiate crisis. I've seen all the amount of pills on death, like death scenes with a dead old guy, and I got to inventory all the meds. My mm-hmm. hand would cramp up because I couldn't write. It was just forever. And I used to always say, this is what killed the guy, you know? And so I never, my wife's kind of against the pill poppers. I mean, I mean the pharmaceutical company did her dad in last year with overprescribed and just, it's just, a, it's a nightmare. So anyways, I was never too trusting of them. So I never got hooked on pills. It was pretty much alcohol and exercise. You know, I play a lot of basketball. I worked out a lot, but I was still heavy. And that's that's one of the struggles I had until I got to the ketogenic way of eating. Okay. So keto five O. this became, um, I mean, what you're, you're learning about nutrition and, and your, your transference to the, this, this, the ketogenic lifestyle. Would you call it a lifestyle? That's just a way of eating that we ate before we had processed food. 
Okay. You know? So so um, you so you delved into this, you saw tremendous results. Tell me about how Keto Five O became an entity. Well, we were always still called Five O in the hood, right? They oh Five O Five O here, you know. So right. I was we always had a, you know, it was it's been in some like you know gangster movies and stuff. So you know, a couple of guys would be like, "Hey Keto man, how'd you lose weight, man? How'd you lose twenty pounds?" You know, rumor would get you know I went from size forty two inch waist to thirty six while I was at the department and. Word gets around. We were a 180 man department, I think, at that point, and people started asking. And then one day, Keto, hey Keto Five O, what's up? Hey, I was like, man, I like that. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I had a small texting group of like 10 people. You know, I'm helping them out. Hey, don't eat this. All the stuff I was learning, I was spreading the word. And all of a sudden, I said, I'm going to start a little group page on Facebook. You know, and it started building. They started sharing with their other cop friends or families, you know, and now I'm over a thousand people on there and I share recipes, articles about how bad sugar is for you and my own journey along the way and other guys' journeys. I even give out the 20 pound weight loss coin. If they're, uh, <laughs> they get 20 pounds, they get one of these cool coins, you know, and it's just something that's been really good. It's been taken off. I've helped a lot of, lot of people um, over probably a couple of hundred. And if I could total up the amount of weight that I, they've lost and turn that into a cattle or a cow for me, that'd be perfect. <laughs> so um, is this, you're, you're continuing with this, this is what you do now. You're, you're basically a, um, a nutritional guidance counselor um, revolving around, around this, uh, this lifestyle. Um, what are you, what are you doing with it? I mean, is it, uh, is it a business? Is it, is it a, a social group? How do you, how do you characterize it? Well, in the beginning, I really didn't know it was more of a social group amongst cops trying to lose weight. And I had some secrets from coaching other cops. I was never certified. It was just life experience. But then I got a chance through low carb USA. They're out there in San Diego. I met the owner on a chat one time and told him my story about PTSD and he had me on his podcast. And then he offered me a chance. There's a school that they're involved with out there in San Diego called the National Association of Sports Nutrition. And I went to school for about nine months online during the pandemic. And I learned words I had to have my wife help me pronounce. <laughs> I was totally out. It was totally outside of my comfort zone because I was never wanting to get into anything medical, really. And man, it was such an eye-opening experience. I learned so much about nutrition and the way stuff affects your body. I wish they would have taught me this in school or when I was younger. Like, you know, I always tell the cops I help. I'm like, you study law so you can charge somebody, right? Well, why don't you study this because this is your life? You know, it's. Mm -hmm. You know, longevity, right. it's your kids and it's living, you know, spending your retirement years of being a retired cop longer rather than dying at like, what, 12 year average or whatever it is, you know? Right, right. So so now at this point, where, uh, what are you doing with it now? I mean, is this, is this your, um, did you create an entity for uh, as a business opportunity now? Yeah, so it, I am now in a company. It's a nutrition, it's a sports nutrition and personal training business. That's the Keto 5.0. You know, I do have clients that I charge and, you know, I help them out. I don't, I'm not breaking the bank, trust me. I, I found the guy's got to have a little teeth in it to stick to it. So I give him a little, hey, pay me this, we'll get this going. And that seems to be working. And then during the meantime, you know, I'm a full-time camper in our RV trailer life with my family. And 
every campground I go to, I'm meeting retired cops, retired firemen, retired military, and a lot of them are sick, metabolically sick. Well, my thin blue line flag helps me meet people. They're like, are you a cop? You're too young to be retired, all that stuff. And I end up meeting people and really helping a lot of people look at their diets, look at the medication and give them an avenue to find doctors that are more supportive of the low carb way of eating. And then that incident happened in New York where they took, told me to take down my thin blue line. Yeah, I wanted, to, started. <laughs> right. I wanted to get, I wanted to talk about that. So, you know, I, this is such a fascinating topic for me. You know, you know that, you know, my organization, The Wounded Blue, we deal with, you know, post-traumatic stress injury. You know, that's a predominant, uh, you know, uh, issue with, with, with the clientele that we have. And so I, I'm, I'm just uh, fascinated by what you are doing here and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the different avenues that, you, that your life has taken in order to touch the lives of law enforcement officers across the nation. Let's talk about the camping part of this, because this is really intrinsic in your story. So, you know, now I'm a sports nutritionist, I'm licensed, I'm able to practice and, you know, take on clients, you know, I'm like a rookie all over again, right? Woo, let's go do this, let's teach people. <laughs> and you realize you can't save the world even in this business. But as I'm going around, you know, different campsites, we homeschool. We've been doing it before the lockdowns. Everything just has worked out for us. And we go up to Acker, New York at a thousand trails campground and we hooked up or, you know, got everything set up. And I always put my flag out. The last thing It's like a big, you know, I plant the flag. I'm like, yes, we're here for two weeks or whatever it is. And I went to the kids playground. The kids were playing over there. And this guy rolled up in a golf cart and goes, hey, man, you got to take your flag down. I was like, yeah, that's funny, right? He didn't get out of the golf cart. He didn't come up, introduce himself. He didn't shake my hand and say, I respect nothing like that. So I instantly felt a little bit disrespected, but I thought he was joking. And then he goes, no, you can need to take your flag down, your thin blue line flag. And I was like, oh, so I turned on my recorder on my phone and I asked him again. And he told me again. And then I dropped some profanity on him about they're going to send some P, you know, POS over here to tell me to take down my thin blue line flag. I got, I got dead cops on my arm. You know, it's just I lost it. And the, they sent the manager over. She said, you guys got to leave. We're ca calling the cops. I'm like, you're going to call the cops and the cop? flying us. It was just backwards to me, right? And I kept like going in the trailer, calming down. PTSD come right back out. You know, I run back outside and wife's like, get back inside. So turns out in the bylaws, they kind of own the property itself. So if I had the flag on my camper, they can't really tell me to take it down. So I put it in the truck right in the front. And then every day for the next eight days, I didn't leave. I spent eight days to be an annoying, just irritant. <laughs> every day, like this flag was out, you know, my buddy, the squad life, everything I had, coffee cups, t-shirts, every, and people were walking up that, that lived there and they supported us. And I had retired cops come up to me and they go, yeah, they made me take my flag down, flag down last month. <sighs> right? So, I mean, I reached out to a couple of guys that did an article in law enforcement today. And then I went through a local news channel, picked it up. Channel 12 did a story on it. Thousand Trails got wind of it. Cops started canceling memberships. I got suspended from Thousand Trails for two months for just speaking <laughs> really? my mind. I'm like, what? I've never been suspended in my life. And now I get suspended. I'm retired. I'm like, what's going on? So because I couldn't make bookings for two months, now I'm like, what am we going to do? I got to take my family wherever. We got to start paying out of pocket. And five different campsites in upstate New York said, hold on, come to our place for one week. 
on us. They treated us like celebrities. There was thin blue line flags and all their campgrounds everywhere. They gave us golf carts to drive around. They were awesome. And it covered the whole time that I got suspended by Thousand Trails. So it was perfect. So at that point, I said, you know what? We need to do this. A lot like the cops and cabins thing I was telling you. Let's get us together at Pro Cop Campgrounds and let's make it just therapeutic. Let's get together. We'll have a band. We'll have bonfires. And maybe you'll meet somebody there that you didn't plan on meeting. That might be the difference in you saving your life one day. Could be nutrition. Could be suicide. It could be anything that they're suffering through, you know, because it helped me. Those just those seven guys I was with back in 2018, I can imagine a whole campground. So the first campground that reached out to me said, hey, we should do an event. I was like, yeah, you want to do an event next June? And this is way back in like August. Like, yeah, let's do it next summer. So now we have our first event in Ithaca, New York, which needs help. Ithaca is one of those defund the police cities. And we're having it the end of June, June 24th, 25th. And we're going to have a live band that Saturday. We've got SWAT trucks coming out on Saturday for the kids to, you know, appreciate the cops. And my buddy's going to do a documentary, the same guy that did the cops in cabins. And we're really going to try to make this a regional thing all over this country. You know, so this, I is, think you this, just is, get us- this is this is actually coming up. This June, what what are the what is the date for this? It's the twenty fourth through the twenty fifth. It's pretty much a Friday Saturday, but you're welcome to be there the whole week. We're all going to be hanging out, but the actual event is a Friday Saturday, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty fourth, twenty fifth. Spruce Row, Spruce oh. Row Campground in Ithaca, New York. And where where can uh, uh, the listeners and the viewers, if they're interested in attending this, how do they find the information? They can go to keto50.com. They can go to copsandcampers.com and log into the Facebook group. And it's it's on my, like I said, the keto50.com page, it's on there. So, you know, it, it's just, it's it's incredible what you, your your journey of self-discovery and how you have taken um, this 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 personal trauma that you, that you, uh, you know, have dealt with and have turned it around into a, uh, an alternative type of therapy, if you will, that you have found to be very effective just from your own experiences. Would you say that your, your physical health um, from the weight loss and, and, the, and the change in your diet, would you say that significantly impacted the post-traumatic stress injury that you had? Yeah, I would say about 75%. It was the rest. The last 25 was retiring and just getting away from the station, the radio, you know, just the routine of that. And that's when I did more of a carnivore way of eating. At that point, I lost the next 25 pounds. I got down to 176 pounds, saw my abs for the first time in my whole life. It was crazy. Off from diet, off from diet. So when you say a carnivore diet, what is that? I mean, of course, I know what a carnivore is, but what is that? How does that uh, manifest itself? I mean, what is what is a carnivore diet in, in simple terms? It's going back to when we used to follow the herds and, you know, you kill a buffalo and you, you consume the whole animal type of thinking. You know, um, it's pretty much an animal-based diet. Cheeses, you can eat meats. I tend to go with more of the grass-fed, the expensive cuts because, you know, if you eat a sick animal, you're, it's not really the best meat for you. you know? Sure. So... You know, the, the vet, like I was saying, my wife still does some vegetables and stuff like that. They do fruits and berries, you know, but I pretty much eat bacon, eggs, ribeyes. Uh, what else? Oh, I love like sausages and stuff like that, you know, and that's all I eat all the time. And I take some organ supplements, you know, I do like beef liver, 
not a lot of it, but I could eat beef hard. And then I have these supplements that I uh, involved with a company that promotes it. And they've been great. They grind down the organs because a lot of people can't eat the organ meat. So they're ground down. You just take, you know, like a couple of pills and it's like eating a piece of liver. And then wow. you eat your ribeye. So, our, okay. So um, there are officers that are going to be listening to this, retired officers, active duty officers. How can they, um, uh, can they like, bring you on board in order to help them um, uh, get healthier? Yeah, I'm willing to go even go talk to departments, whatever they need. Um, I can take on clients one on one. I prefer to kind of do that. This way I'm invested in one person. And usually within a month, I can set them free because they've already learned the basics of nutrition through me. And, you know, they can reach out to me. I have ways of how you can eat on shift. I have ways that you can eat, you know, when you're not on shift and obviously fasting and not eating throughout your whole shift, you know, I go against that. You know, I'd rather you be fit and hungry like a hunter during your whole shift rather than full, you know, with a big old belly full, of, you know, McDonald's or some crap like that. Right, right. And and how would how would uh, an officer find you and engage you in 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 uh, their in getting help? They can find me on everywhere Keto Five O. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. My email is Keto Five O at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website and all the links are there, keto50.com. My story's on there. My, my shooting's on there. Everything is on there that you need to know about me. You know, one of the things that, that I wanted before we, I mean, we I, I've been so involved in talking about your story. I We really haven't gotten into any of the news that I usually talk about on this show. But uh, I think that every moment that that you have you have spoken about uh, your your uh, your journey, um, I just find it so fascinating. I think everybody that's listening to this can get something from it. But one thing that I wanted to key on um, when you were basically attacked for having the thin blue line flag at the this campground. What was the name of that 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 campground again? Let me make sure I say it right. Roundout Valley. Roundout Valley. I call it Groundout Valley, but it's Roundout Valley. Now, did you say that there was uh, that they're part of a larger organization and they and they suspended you? Thousand Trails. Thousand Trails. So anybody that that is a camper, um, we don't want you going to Thousand Trails, do we? No, not at all. Not unless they change their guidelines. They allow Canadian flags. They allow military flags. They allow. Um, what was it? Um, decorative flags. And mo I have to say in their defense, 90% of their campgrounds have been fine. It was that one campground two hours outside of NYC that just had an issue with it. The rest of them have been fine. So I don't want to spank the rest of them, but the management <laughs> okay. of them, they, they actually went out on Twitter on some news story saying they contacted me or were trying to. They never did. They never did. So right. I just want that to go on the record. They said it. I heard them say, I go, they never called me. My number's right there. So it's just... <laughs> just typical so you know. but what the what, what i found really interesting is that when they uh came after you for that that you began experiencing the uh symptoms of post-traumatic stress injury again yeah i mean that i mean i was jacked that night my i mean i hadn't gotten the red in so long because I'd left, retired, life was going well. You know, I found a brother through 23andMe that was a cop in Florida, two hours away from me, you know, like, and he was a camper too, like all this positive stuff was going on. So that was the first time I actually got hit with it. 
And I got wrecked quick, man. I, you know, I, I really worry about me getting in that state of mind in a real situation that if I go hands on, and that's one of the reasons I retire. Cause I think if I go hands on to somebody, it's going to be ugly and I'm worried about turning it off. And, right. Right. You know, and I was seeing that in my career towards the ends. I'm like, I need to get out of here. Well, I think it's, you know, the fact that, that you are, you, you live with post-traumatic stress injury, you live with it and you manage it. And I, I think that's a critical, that's a, that's a critical component of, of the information that we need to get out to the law enforcement community that you can manage post-traumatic stress injury and your, and your unique ways of doing it is something that I think is, is, uh, uh something for, you know, uh, uh, for real exploration. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of end it there as far as, uh, your stories, we can talk about a couple other things. Uh, but I mean, once again, uh, for, for the viewers and for the listeners, uh, go to keto five Oh and, uh, and check out, um, what Eric is, is doing. He's doing amazing, amazing work. And, uh, if I can, if I can get out to your event in June, uh, I'm going to come out there and, 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 uh, spend a little time with you as well. I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and get that into the, into the schedule. It would be fascinating, uh, to, uh, to take part in that with you. Um, I think that'd be great. That would, I, yeah, it would, it'd be, it would be great. Um, so, you know, on this show, we talk about all things law enforcement, some of the, the craziness that is out there, how law enforcement, you, know, you, you were in it up until, you know, just a few years ago. So, you know, your, your viewpoints are valuable to, you saw the transition take place during your 20 years from basically, you know, law enforcement was still respected um, it, during the early part of your career, but, but it's changed so much because of social media and because of politics and all the insanity that, that, uh, that, that this uh, country has been facing over, over the last um, uh, number of years. So <clears throat> um, I want to talk just about a couple of, of things that, that uh, I, I just makes, makes me crazy. And uh, this, this headline, three North Texas officers indicted on felony assault charges for force used on anti-police brutality protesters in 2020. So we're talking about the George Floyd riots. And this is in uh, Dallas, uh, the Dallas area. Uh, protesters, uh, the, the, three, the three officers are accused of using excessive force during the 2020 protests following the murder of George Floyd. And uh, this, is, this is from uh, um, one of the one of the periodicals from down there. Uh, protesters confront a Dallas, a line of Dallas police officers at a march for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Three North Texas officers were indicted on assault charges for actions against this, uh, the protesters. This is from the Texas Tribune. Um, and this was basically, these officers were under attack by throngs of rioters and they used low lethality ammunitions in order to beat back the crowd. And now, two years later, they're being indicted for that use of force. Now, this comes on the heels of 19 Austin police officers being indicted by a George Soros-funded district attorney in Austin, who all these officers are now facing criminal charges, facing prison time for simply defending 
their their uh, their, their own lives and and using low lethality ammunition on 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 people who are attacking them. Now, how how do you how do you view this from from your lens as a as a as a, a retired police officer who um, you know has has also suffered post traumatic stress? What do you think these officers are dealing with now emotionally? as well as legally and psychologically and, 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 you know, all, how is, how do you think this is affecting them? And we're talking Dallas, right? Dallas and Austin. That's the same. And that's, that's in 2016 where they had all those cops got murdered, right? By the gunman. Yes. And that's correct. You don't think that those guys are carrying that on their shoulders every day. So now you have an event like this, you know, so now they're being, I, I don't understand. I was taught if a guy's going to throw a bottle at you, you can use deadly force. Bam, bam, end of threat, right? It could be a hammer, screwdriver, anything that could, a stick, as long as you can articulate and you don't have an area to escape to or something, right? You Rioters are coming at you with sticks and weapons and bottles and you can't use deadly force? To me, that was just like, and they, 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 weren't even, they weren't even using deadly force. They were using not, low lethal force and still they're Maybe being... That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, it's interesting you say that because if that if if there was a one-on-one -on -one situation and there is someone trying to hit you with a bottle, right? A th either throwing a deadly missile, trying to hit you in the head with it, that is that is considered a use of deadly force situation. So justifiably, a police officer could conceivably someone's trying to hit hit me with a bottle, I'm going to shoot them. And that is right. a perfectly legal uh, um, response. And yet, when you have a, a, a mob, a mob of people attacking a group of officers, suddenly they are literally in a fight for their life, both physically and now, two years later, legally. This is this is dramatically affecting the entire law enforcement community, and and you having having dealt with 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 a with a use of deadly force situation, think of what the challenges are for these officers now. It's it's heartbreaking to me. It seems like they're not getting any backing either from I don't you know I know down in South Florida a lot of our chiefs are you know hired by a mayor or the city manager or something so it's like a good old boy system they never back us like the sheriff's office does they never stand up for us if they're just a politician in uniform I know they worked hard to get there but from my experiences with a lot of the chiefs they've left it open-ended for officers to not have any trust of their leadership and guys aren't doing anything they're not going on patrol they're like I'm not going to get in trouble I'm not going to get you know shoot a guy that you know, raise the weapon at me. And then now they're saying, well, you didn't really point it at you. I mean, this is, it's eroding our whole profession. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years or the type of cops they're going to have out there. The, the number of officers that you are interacting with and many of the officers that you're interacting with are during these kind of ad hoc um, group therapy sessions, for lack of a better term, where, you know, you're talking about, about really, really, um, uh, critical issues with these with these men and women who are who are suffering are you seeing a correlation in your um interactions with these men and women are you seeing a correlation to the current situation sociologically with what we you know kind of like what we just discussed 
and their emotional and mental health. Yeah, it's effect, it affects me. I'm not even on the job anymore, you know, because I do talk to my friends. I mean, one of my buddies down south was looking at getting indicted for chasing a freaking guy on a motorcycle. He didn't chase him. He just turned the corner and the guy wrecked. And they're like, oh, he was chasing him. And then you see what he's going through. And I'm like, I feel it. And I feel for every officer I see get arrested. Now, obviously, we have bad apples and they need to do and, you know, serve their time. And, you know, whatever happens to them happens. But most of us, I feel it, man. I know my mom feels it. You know, retired cop. She's glad I'm out of the profession. I got two kids that would are awesome. So, you know, the Chicago prosecutor, Kim Fox, uh, I've talked about her time after time after time. She is she is a, a stain on the profession of uh, of of the law and she has uh now uh, the chicago this is the the welcome back welcome back eric so this is the headline from the uh, police tribune uh chicago prosecutor kim fox praises convicted terrorist cop killer kathy bowden now this is kim fox of course should have should have been removed from office for her, uh, um, for her nefarious dealings with the Jussie Smollett idiocy, uh, and and the other and the other, you know, her failure to prosecute, um, you know, violent criminals, and her anti-law enforcement uh, stance on just about just about everything. So, but instead, what she does now, she comes out, Kathy Bowden. Uh, who who killed two police officers, murdered other people as a terrorist, and now her son is is just mind-boggling. Is the district attorney of the city of San Francisco? So uh, now she dies in prison where she where she absolutely belonged, and and Kim Fox comes out and praises this this murdering murdering terrorist. And uh, and consoling Chesa Bowden, it is it is absolutely insane to see. And and this is you know when we talk, Eric, about what's going on in this country, the anti law enforcement, uh, 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 you know, tsunami. This is she's part of it. When you come out as a as a prosecutor of a major city, and you praise a cop killer. What is that telling everybody in America? It's telling them we don't value police lives. We don't care about police lives. So uh, this is uh, just another one of those things that makes me absolutely insane. But we're kind of running out of time. Um, and I, I want to I do one little commercial uh, 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 that, uh, I, that is necessary, and that is talking about life-saving stuff for law enforcement and that some of that life-saving stuff is about getting doxxed we've seen now that the uh, supreme court justices have been doxxed be, uh, because of of this uh insanity uh regarding a decision well officerprivacy.com is a must for every police officer um the uh the the creator of officerprivacy.com retired police officer who realized that it's easy to find your personal information on the internet. They can find where you live. They can find what you drive. There's all kinds of personal information. You need to get it off there, and officerprivacy.com does that. Check out officerprivacy.com. Talk to Pete over there, who is a retired cop, who, is, who has helped out thousands of officers. This is for your safety, the safety of your family. Okay. Now, um, at the end of the show, 
I, uh, I, I want to talk about one final thing, and that is what we do here is called End of Watch, where we, where we eulogize all the officers who lost their lives in the line of duty this week. And um, this, is, this is really a, a heartbreaker. Corporal Nick Tulier of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office, he was shot six years ago. Um, he was gunned down um, right after the, uh, the Dallas police officers were shot. And several officers died that day. Nick was, was horrendously injured, um, was in a coma, um, barely. I mean, he's been disabled uh, since that day. But uh, he succumbed to injuries sustained six years earlier when he was ambushed by a subject outside of a convenience store. Uh, officers received reports of a subject walking along the roadway carrying a rifle. As responding officers arrived, they were ambushed by the subject. Corporal Tullier was critically wounded. Um, the subject was shot and killed by responding officers. Uh, Corporal Nick Tullier, East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. End of watch Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Uh, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. So, <clears throat> um, for those of you who want to help law enforcement, you support law enforcement, you're asking how, and I'm going to tell you how right now. You go to thewoundedblue.org. That's the organization that I founded that helps injured and disabled officers. Go to thewoundedblue.org and donate five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you can afford, because these men and women who have sacrificed so much for their communities need our help. And they need to know that you care about them. So go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, read about us and what we do, and support us in any way you can. But uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Fascinating story. And I think that what you're doing is absolutely amazing work. And uh, I look forward to having you back on the show again. Okay, <laughs> I guess we lost him again. All right, so thanks for joining me again uh, for another another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network, on iHeartRadio, and uh, other services. So uh, I'm Randy Sutton. Go to thewoundedblue.org. If you want to contact me, I am Randy at thewoundedblue.org. And you can also follow me on Facebook at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm Randy Sutton. Thanks for joining me again this week. One of them, one of them.